This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline, Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack. Welcome to the Chicago Shuffle Podcast. Join me as per usual these days is Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. I am Zach Lee. And it is a bye week, so it's probably going to be a little more positive than usual, certainly less frustrated. And we're just going to kind of pick apart a few different things from the Bears season, the Ryan Pace tenure, kind of a, a macro view instead of focusing on things like going 23 of 38 for 114 yards. Ricky, how you doing? I'm good, Zach. How are you, man? I'm I'm curious. How did you spend your Bearsless Sunday this last Sunday? Did you at least get a day that was relaxing and full of bringing you like bringing you back to life? Uh, <laughs> because typically the Chicago Bears, I feel like, are just a draining experience to watch I, every Sunday. I would say that my adrenals uh, are much uh, more balanced than they've been in the last couple of weeks. But truth be told, man, and I was talking to my dad about this, you know, when he called me yesterday, it was just more like, ah, I can have a relaxing Sunday. Like, I'm watching these games. I'm not watching them. I'm going to go for a walk. Oh, that was a cool moment. Oh, that was a tough loss. Just a very kind of sedated uh, Sunday journey. I, I I needed it. I didn't miss watching the Bears very much. I'm going to be honest with you. Absolutely me either. But, uh, you know, they're still five and five. There is still <laughs> ostensibly a carrot hanging out in front of them in terms of the playoffs. There's still something left to play for. Uh, and, you know, here we are, five and five. It sure feels like the season is over, but I guess in reality, it isn't. It's funny, you know, I would say just when we're out, they pull us back in. But I can't say that about the Bears. The Bears are not the they in this. The they is the NFC North. And so you talk about watching the games this week. Every other team shit their own bed and gave us uh, the hope to kind of hang in there and get kicked in the nuts again. So <laughs> the the Lions get shut out by the Panthers. Uh, Panthers are a rebuilding team with l multiple guys out of the lineup. 
they get shut out. I think it was 23 to nothing. I'm saying that off the cuff, but I think that was the score. Just a total bed shitting by the Lions, and you have to think that Matt Patricia is on borrowed time at this point. And then you have the Vikings, who many, many people that I know had them in their eliminator pools this week, and they got uh, dispatched. Um, it, it was a late loss, but dispatched nonetheless by an inferior team. And then you have the Packers, who... Uh, no matter how many times people try to anoint them as the class of the NFC, and certainly the class of the NFC North, they lose in overtime to Phil Rivers and the Indianapolis Colts. So just when we thought we could actually start to rest easy and kind of take a look at what the Bears' future looks like, they're actually still in this playoff race. So 5-5 five and five with a puncher's chance, Ricky. I, I, there's no other way to look at it. Yeah, it really doesn't feel like it to me. It feels like... The season is pretty much over, but that's not the case. And, you know, like you said, looking at the rest of the losses in the division, man, I mean, the Vikings lost to Andy Dalton. And that Cowboys team has just been a total disaster uh, throughout the season. Dalton returns to the field, beats the Vikings. That's a terrible loss. You talked about the Lions getting shut out. Like, the Bears beat that Panthers team. That Panthers team isn't anything special. And then, you know, Green Bay, I still think, is really talented. Like, I was trying to—I didn't see the Colts-Packers game. So I was trying to look into it after the game. I typed in Aaron Rodgers. It seemed like uh, people were saying that Rodgers was upset that his teammates let him down or whatever. That was the gist I was getting. So I typed it into Twitter, tried to look for it. <laughs> and all I'm seeing is Rodgers throwing like this absolutely amazing pass from the back of his own end zone. Like, you know, 50 yards, beautiful bomb. Uh, so, you know, the, the Packers still obviously have the you know, the biggest swing card in the division. That's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, even if he's not still the best quarterback in football, it seems like most people agree that Mahomes is past him. I certainly think that. Uh, he's still so fucking awesome, man. And he's still capable of these moments where you're like, oh, holy shit, yeah, that's right. He might be the best ever. And he's still, like, kind of in his prime. So that's what the Bears have to look forward to next week because uh, it's Green Bay next week. It's Aaron Rodgers. And we can be starting this podcast by saying, hey, the season's not over just yet. But man, if they get pounded by the Packers next week, which I fully expect to happen, uh, then it sure will seem like the season's over. And at that point, they're basically going to have to play perfect football. Look, we're going to get to a lot of things and have a little more structure to this than we usually do. But I think just because you mentioned it, let's just kind of get into this really quickly. The, the current betting line, and, and again, this comes from a foundation of being a Bears fan, a Bears homer, a Bears optimist, despite the fact that all I talk about is the shit that went wrong, and the hope that, you know, on any given Sunday, they might bring their best, and this is the way that they can uh, get a win. The Bears are currently 7.5 underdogs against the Packers at Lambeau Field, coming off of a tough loss against Aaron Rodgers, and the Bears uh, are adrift and just today, we found out that Eddie Jackson is going on the COVID list. Now, we don't know, and I don't want to um, try to predict whether it was a close contact situation or, or that he's actually tested positive for the, uh, for the virus. But either way, if you have a rent check that you just haven't mailed in, if you have a mortgage payment, if you have a windfall of cash, I hate to say this, but bet it on the Packers. This week, 7.5 points doesn't feel like nearly enough. And I have a, a terrible, terrible feeling that this isn't going to go well. It's going to be the next in a series of national TV kind of embarrassments. Um, 
you know, I say all those things and I, uh, oh, reverse jinx or this is the way that it might work out. I, I don't actually see a path to victory this upcoming Sunday. And it's, you know, I, I usually can. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Also, though, like, uh, I've just noticed this throughout the entire season. Maybe it's this way every year, but it sure feels like it more than ever this season. That, like, whenever they're doing, like, the expert panel and, like, you know, six or seven people will pick a game, whenever Mm -hmm. they all agree that a certain team is going to win, that team typically loses. So I'm hoping that, like, on the, you know, on the pregame panel or whatever, no one just does the YOLO pick and picks the Bears because I feel like their only hope is literally everyone agreeing that they're going to get smoked in this game, which, of course, I believe, too. You know, just looking at the matchup on paper with the way the Bears are playing lately, with Green Bay having a ton of motivation, coming off the disappointing loss to Indianapolis last week, it sure seems like this is going to be an unholy beatdown, man, like classic Bears QB shits his pants in primetime type stuff. Uh, If we've seen it once, we've seen it a thousand times. So I totally agree with you, but I do have that small, small prayer of stupid hope (laughs) that like maybe because maybe because everyone agrees that the Bears are going to get smoked, maybe they can pull it out. You never know. The, the, uh, has Nagy uh, beaten Green Bay? I'm sure he has, but... Yeah, yeah, we beat them last year on the Eddie jo- Jackson. Oh, that's right, that's right. Uh, was that last year? No, two years ago in 2018, Eddie Jackson picks off the Aaron Rodgers pass in the end zone. That leads to the firing of McCarthy and them bringing in uh, LaFleur. Of course. Th- that's when Eddie Jackson gets the high ankle sprain and misses the playoff. The whole bit, all the fun stuff. So, yes, that is his one victory against... Uh, Green Bay, but uh, 0 for 2 last year, and then 2018, it's the opening game of the season. We're up, you know, multiple touchdowns, fancy new offense. Aaron Rodgers pulls a miracle out of his ass and beats us in that game. Uh, yeah, some 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 ghosts, some demons, uh, just a, a, a little bit of history working against us here. But I'm just reminded, and, and let's move on here in a second, how much of a quarterback league it is. Like, there seem to be so many problems with the Bears, and I'm looking around the league at other teams that are struggling. And so I was watching a little bit, and God forgive me, of the uh, Philadelphia-Cleveland game yesterday. And Carson Wentz threw one of the most abominable pick sixes I think I've ever seen. And I texted my buddy, uh, you know, he's a Philly fan. He's from South Jersey. It's just that's who they root for out there. And I was just said, like, look, I don't want Carson Wentz and I'm a Bears fan. And he's just laughs and laughs. He's like, it's fucking abominable. Like, what do you even do with this? And he's like, you can't even tell who else is good on the roster. The whole vibe around the team sucks. I'm just reminded that. No matter how many problems you think you have on your team, one good quarterback solves them all. And the Kansas City Chiefs are the perfect example of that. Totally, man. And uh, it seems like there are a lot of good young quarterbacks in this league, and the Bears do not have one of them. So I, I feel like it used to be the hit rate was like 30% or 50-50 if you want to be nice about it. I feel like in the last like two, three years, it's like 90-10 yes, and Trubisky's the 10. Uh, ooh, he's number 10. That was the best shit ever. All right, anyways, so first thing I want to talk about today on this bye week where we don't have to recap a game that went poorly is just kind of like looking at the the overall schedule, where the Bears are right now at, you know, at 5-5, five and five, 10 games into the season, uh, and just kind of like recapping how we got here because I think a lot of the time when we have these conversations, it's just based on how today's game made us feel and how it colors everything else. So it's either fire Nagy and fire pace and this isn't working and that's not working or maybe Mitch could be the guy or, you know, David Montgomery is a starting running back in the league. Those kinds of things. So let's just kind of blow through this really quickly. 
but just kind of to remember how we got here. Because just like last year, you look at 8-8 eight and eight as a final record, you go, you know, some things went good, some things went bad, but that's not bad. That's a competent team. And if you'd actually watched the games and saw how they won the ones they won and lost the ones they lost, you'd say that 8-8 eight and eight isn't in any way representative of how disappointing and frustrating that season was. So 5-5. Five and five. Game 1 is the Detroit uh, Lions game. And I think contextually, let's remember the first two... 0.75 games are Trubisky games. So the Detroit game, they win 27-23, but it is an absolutely miraculous comeback against a team that actively hates their head coach and hasn't had a competent plan on either defense nor offense for the last three years. Sorry, Detroit fans. Sorry to supporters of Matt Patricia, but seems pretty objectively true at this point. So it is a win for the Bears, but it seems like A, should have been a loss. B, is, is against one of the league's worst worst teams. Uh, and I, I do want to have a special shout out in this moment to people like Mina Kimes, other national uh, sports writers who are touting Detroit as a possible dark horse to take the division beginning of the season. You're dumb. You're smart at all the other things. But in this case, you don't know the NFC North. Detroit's perpetually awful. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to DeAndre Swift, who dropped a wide open pass in the end zone to win the game. So the Bears, Lest we forget. You know, when we talk about, oh, yeah, it seems like the Bears totally should have lost this one. Trubisky threw three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Didn't feel that good uh, coming away with the dub. Yeah, but also uh, the Lions literally dropped a super wide open pass to win the yep. game. Dropped the game winner. It so it's a L disguised as a win, but it's a win nonetheless, and that's all that matters in the league. So you're 1-0. Then you play the Giants, who new coach, no practice, no offseason because of COVID, still trying to figure things out, super young, no identity whatsoever, and the Bears eke out, and I mean eke out, a 17-13 win. Trubisky is unbelievably frustrating. All the issues we've seen, all the inconsistencies are there, and the defense manages to hold on to win the game. So another win in the bank, but at this point you're just saying, ah, like, how is this team 2-0? and when, when are they going to pay for these mistakes? When are they going to stop being so inconsistent? Then the Atlanta game, where Trubisky absolutely shits the bed it's that game it's that game where the expectations kind of make him fall uh I, he just can't meet the moment and the bears finally after one of the worst pick sixes you'll see actually not a pick six i think trubisky made the tackle but one of the worst picks you'll see uh nick Foles comes in and fucking lights it up and i i'm almost amazed like the way it makes me feel now to think about it because the Nick Foles I've seen the last few weeks versus that guy are two completely different people. And that's the hard part, which is, you know, you think about like the Philadelphia Super Bowl and that Nick Foles, we actually got like this little taste of super competent, heady, poised play. And that would be the last we'd ever see of that. So three and O against Atlanta, Nick Foles takes the helm, a lot of hope going forward for maybe not the same ceiling as Trubisky, but a higher floor and letting the defense uh, win games and managing us forward to a playoff berth. Then the Indianapolis game where we play our first good defense and our first competent team, and it's a non-competitive game. The final score is 19 to 11, but the last score is given up in prevent defense, garbage time. Effectively, the Bears scored three points and that was it. 
Uh, and that was the first humbler. And so then you have a national TV game, Tampa Bay coming to town, and you just think, we are going to get blown out of the water. We're going to get exposed, and this is the game. It happened last year, too, despite all the struggles of last season. It was against the uh, the Vikings uh, at home. I think it was week four, and the Bears' defense absolutely ate Kirk Cousins alive, and it wasn't competitive. And in this one, uh, the Bears made it competitive for their own like difficulties on offense, but... It, the, the image of the season, if you want a positive one, is uh, t- Tom Brady holding up the number four, looking dazed because he got the absolute shit beat out of him by the Bears defense. And they pull out the win 20 to 19. And this is the moment where NFL pundits are starting to say, oh, maybe this Bears team, they might actually have something here. So you're <laughs> you're four and one. You got Carolina in Carolina, a rebuilding team. And this is the game. It actually goes to script. The defense plays well. They put the team in, a, in good situations. They get a pick right off the bat and give the Bears the ball in the red zone, which they f- somehow managed to unfuck up their way into the end zone with a, Cole Komet's first touchdown of his career. They pull out that game 23-16 in a game that should have been like 34-10, to but they find a way to make it close at the end as per usual. And now you have a 5-1 team. And people not just predicting the Bears to be in the playoffs, but kind of saying, hey, like – Maybe they win the division. Like, what What do we need to – it's ridiculous that they're here, but they are here. The record is what it is. And then the national TV slate of difficult teams shows up. You have the Rams game on Monday night. It's a 24-10 loss, and it isn't nearly that close. You have the New Orleans game against an absolutely beat-to-shit Drew Brees. Uh, we also know now that he's – you know, I mean – my God, don't ever play again, Drew Brees. I feel like the game's telling you 11 broken ribs says maybe don't play NFL football anymore. But uh, the Bears managed to lose this one in overtime, 26-23. to Then the Tennessee game, 24-17 final score. Not at all indicative of that game. It wasn't a contest from the jump. Just some garbage time points at the end. And then just this last week, the Minnesota game, which with a Cordero Patterson touchdown – and holding Minnesota to 19 points, you go into that game feeling like the Bears have, are probably going to win this game. We've got this one. The team only has to put up, you know, a, 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 a 10 spot, just just a 10 spot, and you're right there. Uh, nope, it's a big L. So the Bears now sit at 5-5, five and five, uh, and you look at the season, and it's hard not to see a ball rolling downhill to a very dark place, Ricky. Yeah, absolutely. I think in a lot of ways, the story of the season has been false hope. That first week against Detroit, Trubisky threw three fourth quarter touchdown passes. Like, you have to say it so that we know it's true. (laughs) It just seems unbelievable, right? Like, three fourth quarter touchdown passes, come back, win Mitch Trubisky. Okay, what happens the next game against New York? Well, he plays horrible. All hope is lost. It feels like they averaged like 1.3 yards per attempt passing that game. Gets sacked a bunch, has a bunch of turnovers. Terrible. Then, all right, Foles comes in the next game, like you said, against Atlanta. More false hope. Another big comeback in the second half. Foles looks really good, looks really competent. Maybe he could be one of the better quarterbacks in Bears history. Low, low, low bar to clear, obviously. But, like, this is what we're talking about, basically, because he showed so much competency in that game. Oh, and then in Indianapolis, just gets totally torn apart. So, then, you know, they have the five and, you know, they beat Carolina, five and one. Doesn't seem like they deserve to be five and one, but they are five and one. Ah, but now here comes the reality check, the cold water splash of when you play a decent team, they all beat you handily. Uh, And now here the Bears are at five and five. So, yeah, I think, like, 
I never actually felt fooled by this Bears team. And I feel like in a lot of ways in the past, I would have been more optimistic at 5-5. Five and five. And we've talked about this a lot, but to me, like the thing that I keep thinking about in this season from like the long-term zoomed out view is like it being like a bell curve of contention during the Nagy pace era. And it's very hard to like sustain that peak contention for a lot of different reasons, be it injuries, be it the salary cap, all that stuff. Uh, And it has just even felt when they were good, it just felt like the ball was dropping back downwards, back towards a new era, back towards another rebuild. And that is kind of what has been tying me to you know to the ground throughout this whole season is like yeah there were some legitimate moments like i have a list of things that i've been happy about as a bears fan that we can talk about too after this uh but i was never really fooled by the bears I, this year i feel like i was thinking about this a little bit yesterday but like i feel like the bears are fugitives from success and that failure is like tommy lee jones in the fugitive going to catch him, got the team, we're on the scent, we're on the trail, and we're always running away, just trying to, like, we're five, we're five and one. We we might get away with this. As opposed to, no, this is, they, they've earned it, this is a team that's real. It always feels like, and, and this even goes down to the micro level of play to play, like, I can't believe we got six yards out of that. I can't believe that got completed versus, of course, that play always works for us. It's the same kind of thing where it feels like we're going to get caught, but keep it going. Just You might maybe get away with it this time. It's a really weird feeling to have about your team. But we've already descended into uh, the hate and the frustration. And I think I was going to say let's start with this, but we can't. We're here now. Let's continue with a little bit of a reframing, and that is I just kind of want to say nice things for a second. Just like it's a silly segment, but – Ricky, let's kind of bounce back and forth and, like, what are the three good things that have happened this year that you feel actually really good about when you think about the Bears? Cool. We're calling this segment Say Three Nice Things About the Bears. It's a challenge, (laughs) but we're going to be able to do it. We're doing it for the listeners. We're doing it for the fans. Number one on my list, it reads, secondary is pretty dope. So, you know, I think the Bears secondary is pretty dope this year. Kyle Fuller, he's had a couple questionable penalties called on him throughout the year. It seems like every week he gets one. Kyle Fuller's been awesome, though. I feel like he's sort of established himself as a true number one corner. Starting opposite of him is Jalen Johnson, a rookie, who has been phenomenal as a rookie, going up against some really tough assignments. He's had some peaks and valleys in his season, but I think... In general, he very much looks like he's going to be a dependable long-term starting corner for them, which is awesome. Be able to get that in the, what was he, a second-round pick, I think? Yeah. To be able to get that in the second round as a rookie, contributing right away. Uh, After Prince Mukamura retired or left the team after last year, uh, they had a big hole as their second corner. And Jalen Johnson has capably filled that, and his ceiling should only be getting higher after this year. So, That's been solid. And then I think both the safeties have been awesome, too. Eddie Jackson could probably have three touchdowns right now uh, with how many, you know, sort of close controversial plays have been taken away from him. I think Eddie Jackson has been, you know, playing as one of the better safeties in the league would be my anecdotal observation. I think Eddie Jackson's really good. And then they have their free agent signing from this past year. Is it Tayshawn Gibson? Yeah. Uh, He's been solid, too, especially for someone— 
who, you know, just signed sort of like, he was like a veteran flyer, is like a Band-Aid to like hold him over for a year. And he's been awesome. So that's the first thing that I will say about the Bears. The secondary has been cool and fun. Cool and fun are, are, you know, they're objective scientific analytical terms. And uh, just to have you back it up with such a cogent argument of science is something I can't disagree with. I think that, you know, just to kind of pair what you said, um, I, I think Kyle Fuller is among the top five cornerbacks in football. I think, you know, uh, Jalen Ramsey is CB1 in the league right now, in my opinion. He's paid like it, plays like it. But uh, in terms of like an off-ball corner, uh, you can't do a whole lot better than Fuller. And to your point, he's been penalized for legal plays this year. Uh, he's just kind of unflappable, never kind of loses his cool, just seems to be as steady as anybody can be. So you got that, and you got Eddie Jackson, who's among the best. I think the Bears secondary has been in position to make a lot of picks and plays this year and hasn't made them. And I think that's the one bugaboo there. But they're in position to make the plays, and they aren't the problem with this team um, especially with Jalen Johnson, you know, stabilizing a position that was a huge question mark given I think his veteran competition was like uh, Artie Burns from the Steelers who was on a one-year deal and they figured he'd be the veteran bridge and Jalen Johnson can work himself into the lineup when he's ready and nope, he had to take the job from day one. So he's done great. Uh, that's a good, nice thing. That's a good start. I would like to have my first nice thing that be that Roquan Smith – is the first Bears first round pick to pan out in like nine and a half years. So this was my second one. So we'll just combine it here. But yeah, let's talk about Roquan because Roquan has been really awesome. Let's hear it, Zach. Not only has he been awesome, but we were given a moment to think he might not be awesome. And so I think that was the really difficult thing. You talk about Kyle Fuller is almost a similar career arc where comes out with a ton of hype, makes some plays early and the expectations get built. And then all of a sudden you're like, are we going to cut this guy after his fourth year? Like, is he, is he not good? Like, what was that? Was just a flash. And so for Roquan who really struggled last year, uh, you know, both on the field and I don't want to speculate, but a little bit off the field in terms of, I, Who's to say what was going on with him in his personal life, but the way it reflected on the field was somebody whose head wasn't totally in the game. And to see him come out this year, and especially the last month, you say what you will about the Bears' struggles, but his play over the last month has been maybe the best off-ball linebacker in football. And that is an insane and heady trajectory for a guy that, again, was in a questionable spot uh, midway of last year. And then you have... You know, and we're going to go through this a little later. The Bears draft history in the first and second rounds and miss after miss for reason after reason. So to get to a point here where we have not just a possible all pro uh, linebacker for years to come, but also just to have a victory in the early rounds of the draft, really satisfying. Roquan Smith, thank you, sir. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Roquan leads the team in tackles, and he's like sixth in the entire league in tackles. So I feel like Ro- the Roquan that was promised has finally <laughs> showed up because we were all really high on him when they took him. Like This wasn't even a situation where like we had to talk ourselves into the pick after the pick. It was like as soon as it was over, everyone, all the national analysts were like, oh, yeah, that's like one of the best picks in the first round is the Bears taking Roquan Smith. Uh, we didn't really see it for a variety of reasons, as you mentioned at the start of his career. But this year, Roquan has fully delivered on his promise. He's got two sacks. He's forced to fumble. 
like I said, 96 tackles, 70 solo tackles among the leaders in the entire league in tackles. So uh, not just tackles, but tackles for loss as well. He's he's I think he's either the leader or maybe after this week in the bye that might have changed. But I mean, tackles for loss and he's left some on the field with a couple of spin moves against Tampa Bay. Like he had some issues with wrapping up on on a couple of spin moves, but he's been really, really fantastic. Yeah. So Roquan, great. So I had that one as my second one. Okay. Uh, do you want to move on to your second one now? Uh, no, no. I, I, I brought up Roquan, so go ahead and just give me your next one. Cool. So the next one I have, and I was sort of kind of going back and forth on how to frame this. But I'm going to say uh, certain – I'm just going to say like the receiving <laughs> core, I guess, uh, surprising me in different ways. So As a, as a nice thing. Is a nice thing, yeah. Okay, and I'm going to okay. start this off. So yeah, yeah. It, I originally was just going to say Darnell Mooney. And I think that Mooney has been pretty solid. Fifth-round pick. Uh, he was another guy who had some, like, rave reviews, I feel like, uh, after the draft. People were, like, pretty optimistic about him from a, you know, fifth-round pick perspective. And he got a couple catches early in the season. He still hasn't had a really big game. Uh, He hasn't had more than 69 yards in a game so far, but he has been like a consistent producer to a certain extent. Like, you know, he's good for like uh, three or four catches a game. It seems like Uh, oftentimes he'll be like moving the sticks. He also still has like a little bit of upside and he's like, you know, one of the guys on the team that we all kind of root for, I think, uh, is fans. So Mooney has been cool and good. And I hope that like after the Bears have had plenty of busts at wide receiver in the recent past, Mooney seems like he's probably going to be a pretty good player long term. I don't think he's going to be a superstar. He might not move the needle a ton for you. But if he could be a like an above average two or three receiver, either slot receiver or as your number two guy, uh, I think that that would be great for a fifth round pick. So Mooney's been fun to watch. I've enjoyed him. Uh, still waiting for like the breakout game that makes us all think he's a future all pro. But even without that happening, to me, he projects as someone who's going to be a solid piece long term. I'm going to pair that with Allen Robinson, who I think a lot of Bears fans would be critical of. And I'm going to defend Allen Robinson because it is my opinion that Allen Robinson is the only above average starter on the offense and the entire offense is the only guy on the team who, if you take the average level at that position, he's the only one who exceeds it as a wide receiver one. I was shocked to find out that Allen Robinson has 755 yards receiving this year with six games to play. He only needs, you know, 250 yards to clear a thousand on the year. He could very easily end with 1100, 1200 yards. Now he doesn't have the touchdowns. And if you listen to his agent, that's because the bears don't throw him the ball in the red zone. I think that there is some truth to that. Of course, Allen Robinson has also had more memorable lows than highs this season. I think that just speaks to the nature of being a Chicago bears wide receiver. As Musin Muhammad once said, the place where receivers go to die. But, you know, he's had a couple times where the ball has been ripped away from him and it has led to an interception when, like, he could have come down with the catch. Uh, Those are the plays we remember. But he's also been a pretty fucking good receiver the entire year. Like, it's weird because you see his sort of build and his athleticism and he feels like a big play wide receiver. I don't know what your uh, take on this is, but I sort of view him as just a possession receiver. But he's a pretty damn good possession receiver. I think he's been consistently producing with terrible offensive line and terrible quarterback play the entire year. I mean, probably 
bottom seven or eight in the league in both of those categories in terms of like passing offense from the quarterback, pass protection from the O-line. And he's still on pace to have, you know, 1,100, 1,200 yards this year. I'd love to see him get it uh, thrown his way more in the end zone. But to me, he is someone who a lot, a big, uh, you know, sizable percentage of the fan base wants him gone. And I think that when he is gone, you're going to be like, holy shit, we don't even have a single weapon on this offense. What the fuck? So I think, like, in a way, people are sort of taking him for granted. And I'm just saying, Allen Robinson, I appreciate you. I think you are better than the stupidest Bears fans give you credit for. And I think that when Allen Robinson leaves he will be even better on his next team. Well, okay, so first of all, I'm in Portland, Oregon. You're in Chicago. Is the vibe really like that some people want Allen Robinson gone? They don't think that he's worth whatever contract he wants. Really? That's the sense that I get. Wow. So you don't pick up that sense just reading about the Bears on the internet? Uh, No, no, not insofar as he's not worth it. No. Um, Look, so maybe that's like sort of a straw man argument. So even like beyond that, though, I'm just saying in a big picture sense, I appreciate Allen Robinson's contributions sure, to still sure. be producing with a shitty quarterback and pretty bad offensive line. So that's the thing. It's like trying to evaluate a Chicago Bulls asset last year where it's like you have bad coaching and you have no distributor of the ball. How are you going to be able to evaluate how players like Wendell Carter or Larry Markinen or, you know, you need someone that can distribute the ball and you need a, a coaching staff that can organize the entire operation. And so Allen Robinson, now he's missed some plays this year. There was like a weird stretch, like three games in a row where a 50-50 ball that he almost always catches, or at least it's an incomplete pass, somehow got picked off. It was like bizarre. Uh, you know, you could see him being like, this is fucking crazy. Like, like that was his reaction after like the third time. Um, and he said he was going to be better, but like, look, he leads the league in targets, which I think, it, you know, says a lot about the Bears, uh, the way they distribute the football, his importance. But it feels like he never gets the ball when he should, uh, or at least in the like the way it should be prioritized. The red zone, as you mentioned, with his agent, it's more like, hey, we're down by twenty-five. Let's send you for a five-yard curl and get you destroyed by a linebacker. Uh, that's the route. Um, and, and so to see his competence. And, of course, his history of having come from Blake Bortles in Jacksonville to have to come to Chicago and have the Trubisky experience and now the Nick Foles experience. There's just like this general sense that I get of like national sympathy for Allen Robinson, that he's worth the money, a but also like he just deserves to be on a team where it's fun to play wide receiver uh, and it doesn't feel like he is right now. And so totally. Overall, like, you know, your nice thing was about the wide receiving core. Certainly Darnell Mooney uh, has been a bright spot. And I think that's one of my – I'll just kind of, like, take this to my nice thing, which is that the 2020 draft class is actually pretty damn good. Um, It might not be uh, a franchise-changing, you know, superlative one where you get that, like, you know, franchise quarterback or, um, you know, a a defensive cornerstone like an edge rusher. But to get – Cole Komet is a conversation, I think, will come up a couple times in this pod, but to get a possible starting tight end going forward, if they can figure out how to use him right. And obviously he needs to get acclimated to the league. Um, You know, he made a route running mistake in the last game that was well highlighted. So he's still growing too, but Jalen Johnson, who we've mentioned as a starting cornerback, it looks like he's a starter in this league uh, going forward for a number of years. So you get a starter there. 
And then you have Darnell Mooney in the fifth round, 173rd pick. And, you know, say what you will about his potential as an all-pro, as a pro bowler down the line, whatever. For a fifth-round pick as a rookie to ascend to your wide receiver two on a team that does have a decent depth chart at wide receiver says a ton about him. And I remember reading about it in camp. You know, there's always the camp guy. There's the Daniel Braverman there's this the guy where you're like oh man like this guy's lighting it up in camp can't wait till these games start he's a steal he's the steal of the draft and then you get to the regular season games and he gets one catch and then he's inactive for seven straight weeks so for darnell mooney to carry that over to games and now be seeing double coverage down the field deep all that sort of stuff um says a lot about him and a lot about this class and then the rest of the class you know say what you will uh, Travis G- uh, Gibson is a developmental outside linebacker. A couple flashes here and there, but like decent depth. I haven't seen a thing from Kindle Vildor except that he's got the coolest fucking name. And um, I-, I don't even know if he's like active on game day. And then you have the, the two offensive linemen who are not supposed to ever see the field uh, in the seventh round, Arlington Hambright and Lachavius Simmons. Two great offensive linemen names. I mean, just straight out of key and peel. So I appreciate that aspect. I really wish we didn't have to employ them at this point in time. But a pretty good draft class overall, given what the Bears had. You know, they didn't have a first-round pick, didn't have a third-round pick, didn't have a fourth-round pick. I wonder whose fault that is. Uh, And to come away with the players they did, pretty nice thing. Yeah, love that. I think, you know, that's an extension, too, of, uh, you know, me talking about Jalen Johnson earlier. But I think the rookie class, uh, one of paces better draft jobs like maybe you should trade his first round pick every year he's not very good at selecting in the first round so uh maybe he should always just try to load up on second third fourth fifth rounders of course i hope he's not around that long to actually pull off this strategy but it's funny when they have you know sort of a limited stack of chips that they actually make smarter bets than they typically do yeah, and I, I totally agree. And that's what we're going to talk about next. So it's a really good thing to throw to. Any other nice things you want to throw in just like as quickies before we go to break? Uh, those were my three. I guess like this is sort of a, a recent one, but just off last week and I'm scrambling to come up with something here. You don't I have thought... to. You can say no. Uh, There's three. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say like uh, Cordell Patterson, maybe they're finally figuring out how to use him i think he you are, he, you are scrambling he played uh decent against the vikings he took back a kick they actually got him going like it seemed like laser wanted to get him more involved and yeah i'm really scrambling but uh, no, i don't disagree i mean certainly better than like his like two touches on the third and one sweep that didn't hit for the first month of the season so uh it was his revenge game the vikings had drafted him and so to see him like take one back and to have that one moment of hope in a third quarter the entire year, that was a nice moment. I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, my last little things are uh, that, that I came up with were Cairo Santos, first of all, Ooh, that's um, a good one. to have found like what seems to be a competent place kicker. Now, place kicking in the NFL, it's kind of like, let's see what we get next year, too. It's almost like, you know, is this guy's game on right now and is it consistent? But right now, that guy's nails, and it looks like the Bears have solved what's been a really uh, – a bad place on the roster ever since Robbie Gold was let go. So Cairo Santos, and then this will sound weird, but stick with me. Uh, some of the late roster O-line depth is actually better 
than I thought it would be. And that the two guys specifically are Alex Bars, who's been like, you know, kind of on the practice squad. Is he a guy? Is, isn't he a guy? But I think he's a versatile piece and he's shown himself to not be fucking incompetent uh, when called into duty this season. Sure. And the other guy that like really haven't seen much of only one game before he got injured was Sam Mustafer, uh, who an undrafted free agent who all of a sudden is getting all this coach speak about having played a really, really good game and being a smart guy. I'm not saying these should be starters. I'm not saying the Bears O-line is good. I'm just saying, like, end of roster depth is the sort of thing that's hard to develop on the O-line. And so having those pieces in place, having something, some kind of foundational elements that you can kind of, okay, those are guys we're developing that are young and show a little bit of promise, that's a good thing that I didn't see coming. Very cool. Yeah, I like that one because obviously the offensive line has been one of the biggest weak points of the season. Uh, but, you know, any way we can spin this towards some sort of silver lining, I'm totally on board with, man. And uh, you did give me a little hope right there as you were saying it. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe he's actually right. So uh, for a really bad offensive line season, that is some good upside. I appreciate you bringing that up. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month. 73% of job, okay. Uh, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so moving on, Ricky, to a really important conversation, not just about these individual players and games, but I kind of feel like there's a lot to unpack with Mr. Ryan Pace and what the Bears are going to be able to do going forward. And really, is it time to move on from Ryan Pace after six years? So the first thing I want to do, and it's going to require me to talk for just a second as I put all this out there, is to kind of recap his drafts and recap his free agency to kind of like put some of this into perspective. So this legwork was already done for me on the draft by um, – uh, Dan Weeder, a uh, Chicago Tribune beat writer, and a really good writer about the Bears. I think nobody has been more frustrated this year besides Jeff Dickerson, who's openly screaming in his tweets uh, during games. It's just hilarious. Supposed to be an impartial observer, sir. Um, I don't blame you either. So uh, 
let's just put aside this year, which a lot of the jury is still out, despite the fact that we've got some early hits. Let's just review 2019 and before. And what Weeder had at the end of the day, and we can go through the numbers and the people and the things, there's greatest hits, there's solid selections, there's misses, there's busts, there's the jury still being out. All right? And so I this this is his list, and I think we can debate the merits of it going forward. The greatest hits in Ryan Pace draft history are Eddie Goldman as a second-round pick, who's uh, been a pro bowler already, and although he opted out of the season, it's quite clear how much the Bears miss him. You have Eddie Jackson, one of the, the two great fourth-round picks. You have Adrian Amos, who now plays for the Green Bay Packers, but was a fantastic fifth-round pick back in the day. And you have Jordan Howard, who, say what you will about him in today's NFL, about where things are headed as you know the running back position overall, he was damn good as a running back for the Bears and a critical part of the offensive team there for a while. He was the identity. Then you have solid selections, of which there are six. Roquan Smith, right now solid, could end up being a greatest hit down the line. Sure. I don't know how you feel about that. I was going to say the same thing. He's the one who has a chance to move up. Sure. And, and that, I think that's the important way to categorize these, which is they can move up or they might move down. Then you have Cody Whitehair, who I think at this point has shown himself to be solid, if not weirdly a little disappointing for me. I, I thought he might develop into something more. Ricky? Yeah, I think Whitehair, to me, I figured I felt like at this point in his career, he should be one of the better players at his position. And in a way, it feels like he's either regressing or just like not growing the way we expected him to develop into sort of like be kind of a, a foundational piece on the offensive line. Now, I don't know what your perception is. Of course, I'm not, uh, you know, the sharpest O-line uh, analyzer out there, but he just sort of feels like another guy to me. Like he doesn't really feel yeah. like he's worth, you know, shifting people around for, or like really staking out your claim on the line. He just feels maybe he's like an average offensive lineman, maybe slightly above average. He certainly doesn't feel exceptional. I I think part of this is a condemnation of the development that the Bears have put into Cody Whitehair, and obviously he has his own agency in being a great football player, but I think your assessment is right. At this point, he's sort of just a guy, uh, maybe a, an above-average guy. I mean, he's well-paid so uh, at his position, but I think the tough part for me is that he's no longer ascendant. And so good but not ascendant kind of takes a little bit of a, a of the steam out of being good. And I put it on the Bears. They've moved him around position after position, and now he's the center on a team. You just wonder, and I'll just leave it as an open question, if he were to play, have played his natural position, which he'd showed himself to be very, very good, which was left guard or right guard, if you want to do it at that, would he be that Pro Bowl player? Would he? Would his development have changed? So I do lay a little bit of that at the feet of the Bears and the way that they've used him. Was it the best way to maximize his talent? Rem I'll just say Reminds that. me a little bit. Didn't they move Kyle Long to tackle? At one point, Kyle Long got moved over to tackle yeah. with no preseason. They just like game one, you play right tackle now. And that was the John Fox. Era, and then, so. of course, they did it with Hester too, moving him from corner. He didn't really he wasn't ever really a corner, but uh, just trying to make him a wide receiver uh, in mm -hmm. the middle of his career. Yeah, it just seems like, you know, you can see the temptation of it. You can see like how this makes sense when you're just like noodling on it. But it doesn't ever really seem to work out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure, like, 
uh, all teams move guys around here and there, and and the Bears have had some success in different regards. I just feel like in this particular instance, Cody Whitehair has been kind of shuffled around, and him and James Daniels have been switched and switched back. Uh, he's been asked to do a lot, and I think it's hard to focus on your position and being individually great when you're trying to make these adjustments all the time. And coaching turnover, John Fox's staff, and then you have Harry Highstand, and now you have uh, Juan Castillo. Like, that turnover matters, and it's a, a part of his development as a young player. So I'll just say that. Uh, moving forward, solid selection, David Montgomery. I think that's up for argument. Um, certainly it looks like he can play football. I, I don't know that the Bears offense can show you whether or not David Montgomery is a good football player yet. There are so many statistics that you can lean on that say missed tackles, broken tackles, he's great at it. But then you look at his rushing yards and his rushing average and you think this is not a good football player. So you can say jury's still out. I'll say solid selection and, you know, be willing to be wrong about that. Then you have Nick, Nick, white Nick, Nick the quick, who now plays for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I can't believe I got that right. The Las Vegas Raiders uh, at a pretty hefty contract. So for a fourth round pick, you'd have to say that was a really solid selection. Then you got Tariq Cohen, I think inarguably a solid selection. Obviously he's out the rest of this year, but a really important part of the team and also an important part of the locker room as it turns out. Uh, and I think that's a great pick. And then if you want to say it, you can say DeAndre Houston Carson, who is a seventh round pick but he's still on the team and has found a place on special teams. He's a, a four-phase special team player, and that matters. Let's go to misses. Let's go to miss, misses. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, that's a miss. Leonard Floyd, that's a miss. Jonathan Bullard is a miss. DeAndre Hall, Jordan Morgan, Tayo Fabuluje, Kylie Fitz, Daniel Braverman, and Kareth White. Those are the misses, and misses are categorized aside from busts, uh, in a way that, like, didn't get it right, but it wasn't an outright uh, shit show. Then there's three absolute busts, and those are Kevin White, Adam Shaheen, and I, I can't believe, I don't care about this characterization, Hieronis Grasu, which, okay, he was a center that got hurt and didn't pan out. A bust? Whatever. But uh, I would move Mitch Trubisky down to the bust section. How about you? Yeah, he's a bust. Man, I totally forgot about Grasu. Yeah, I mean, I would think that was... Uh, the first draft yeah. that Pace did. I haven't heard did, that name in a while. Yeah, he, I think he's still playing football. I think he like found his way back to the league this year, and he's actually playing a little bit. So that's a conversation I want to have about Pace here in a little bit, which is post-Bears players and how they're doing in the league. It's one of the biggest con condemnations you can have about Pace, about Nagy, about the infrastructure the Bears have created, which is people are having more success elsewhere. That's not good. Uh, okay, so the jury's still being out. James Daniels, who seems like an ascendant player or did this year before his injury, but I kind of feel like the arrow is pointed up there. Uh, Anthony Miller, I, jury may still be out, but I'm not. I'm fucking out. I'm, I'm, I'm post-Anthony Miller. I don't think he's ever going to show the consistency as a football player to uh, be a featured part of the offense, and that may be a little bit harsh given his talent, given his occasional games, but... He drops critical passes, he carries the ball like a loaf of bread, and he runs the wrong routes. And I feel like those are like, it's like saying Mitch Trubisky, man. He, like, he threw those touchdowns against the Lions. He's He can run, he can do this, he can do that. It's like, those things are cool, but the lack of consistency kills those things. Yeah, I feel like Miller has just never really passed the eye test for me. Like, to me, he was supposed to be a guy who has... 
I think, like, great route running ability. I think that was, like, the book on him when we got him. He's certainly not the biggest guy, right? He's 5'11", 200. I think he was, you know, he's not really considered a super fast guy either. So I think, like, his calling card was supposed to be at, like, the technical aspects of playing receiver, route running, catching the ball. In his second year last season, I got the numbers pulled up, he had 52 catches for 656 yards in two touchdowns. So I would say, like, that was kind of a bummer year, but, like, not horrible, right? Because his rookie year in 2018, when they were good, he only had 420 yards, but he had seven touchdowns. So, like, he at least had more yards in his second year, and you're like, all right, maybe he could build off this a little bit. Uh, you know, this season, maybe we'll get Foles, who will finally give him a veteran QB. But instead, it just feels like he's regressed. He only has two touchdowns, only has 350 yards. To me, it's like, what exactly do you do here? If you're not going to be the fast guy or the big guy, you're not really a possession receiver. He's also, I feel like he taunts more than anyone on the team. Am I wrong about that? Like, every time he gets a eight yard reception for a first down he's like popping up and taunting i don't know i just i feel like an old man at this point but I know, he just I know. doesn't really totally impress me and i'm not even sure what he's supposed to be good at well okay so like having revisited some of the draft profiles and stuff as i you know built this pod it was about his route running was right his like route running but also his just general competitiveness his ability to take a 50 50 ball to be physical to go get it to say it's his almost in that like steve smith kind of uh mold and i think that was like the comp which is he's like a small package but he's like electric when it comes to his competitiveness and his like fieriness and his you know uh feistiness and i do think there's value in that there's the other thing where like i want you to close your eyes and imagine him on the Texans and him playing with Deshaun Watson and what that might look like, how much more productive he might be. I honestly, you know, and there's other players I can do this for where I'm like, oh my God, the guy's a different football player. But when it comes to Anthony Miller, I feel like he would be obviously a little more statistically productive, but the fact that he can't, like his quarterback can't trust him, the fact that his hands can't be trusted the fact that he puts the ball on the ground those are things that no matter what team he goes to you wouldn't you'd be like "Mm, maybe they move off him a little bit and get the other guy the ball first so whether you want to blame the bears and their development or their offensive structure and how he's used in it i do feel like a lot of it just kind of falls on miller and his inability to be a consistent football player yeah i totally agree with your assessment right there uh, I think I said that David Montgomery was just kind of mid to me recently, and mids, I yeah. <laughs> uh, I also feel like Miller's just kind of mid. Like, I don't think he's, like, absolute trash or whatever, but no. if he's your number two receiver, to me, like, you kind of got a shitty receiving core. I, I do think that, like, that was the big thing for me, which is when Darnell Mooney was named wide receiver two in game one of the season, I was like, say what you will about Darnell Mooney, but, like, that is a horrible condemnation of Anthony Miller and what they think of him and what his development is this far in the league. So, you know, okay, jury's still out, Anthony Miller. Obviously, if you want to pick the game, the the right game, you're like, that's a player. And then there's just as many games and probably a few more that say he's not. So uh, I think that one's a little more a little more one of the, the divisive ones. But just to finish up the list here, Dion Bush, uh, Joel... I mean, can, can you pronounce his last name? That should have been one of our segments. Can you pronounce Iggy's last name? No. No. Iggbunaway? That's what. I, that's my attempt for the day with a question mark at the end. Uh, then you've got Riley Ridley, who's looking bustier by the day, not in the good way. Uh, and then Bilal <laughs> Nichols, who is a really good player in my opinion. I think I'd move him up to solid selections. 
Duke Shelley, Steven Denmark, these are secondary players, depth players, special teams players that haven't popped in any sort of special way. And then you have, speaking of being popped, you got Javon Wims, and that's the last one. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what what do you think about Javon Wims? I mean, would you call that a solid selection? Would you call it a miss? Well, I've I, always really no... liked him, dude. He's the Devin. I know, me too. He's the Devin Aroma Shadu of our generation. You know, <laughs> like the receiver who's like sort of flashed a little bit, and we're like, well, can't be any worse than this other idiot he's playing behind. The Aroma uh, Shadu game, I forgot. Well, Aroma Shadu at least had one absolutely brilliant game uh, against yep. the Vikings. There's never been a Javon game. Wims game. Well, we there was. That. No, there was. Well, he, there... <laughs> uh, he tried to punch a man in a helmet twice for snatching his chain. So that's the Javon Wims game. Yeah, uh, but that, that I, is. I think Bilal Nichols rules. Bilal Nichols fucks. He's awesome, I think. So, <laughs> right? Like, I'm just impressed yeah, no, with him every time. Yeah. Like, every time I see see him he's making a play it seems like so I totally agree and like given that eddie goldman was out this year i think this list was made to be fair to dan Weederer, made prior to this season uh, or you know in the offseason going into this season and so seeing what we've seen from bilal nichols i think you almost unassailably have to move him up to solid selection he does seem like he's part of the bears core going forward and honestly like i think he's one of the guys you have to think about for a second contract uh going forward if you're gonna look to a bridge towards the future so that's the draft record of ryan pace then you have free agency uh ha- have you looked at what Ryan Pace has done in free agency, like the whole list any time recently, Ricky? I haven't looked at the full list, Zach, but I do know that as we were preparing for this episode, you sent me a text message that read, and I quote, let me see this, uh, Jesus Pace's FA record. So it, uh, I think that I I can sort of expect where we're going with this conversation, but please uh, present your data to us let's just like we're gonna give some credit where credit is due here first and kind of give like hey these were good signings and a lot of them are still on the team just to give like you know the other side of this and make sure it doesn't seem like we're trying to paint him as being terrible at his job but it does feel like ryan pace was handed a thousand dollars in ones at a strip club and he went and gave 999 of them to the first stripper he saw uh it, it's not so much about like the signings, although there are some bad ones along the way. It's just that he threw money around every single year, and now the Bears are up against the cap and can't sign offensive linemen. So it only it took till now for it to really show itself out. But I think just the way in which he went about some of the like the wheeling and dealing, uh, and then you have you know like Jimmy Graham is that year is this year's example where it's just like why why did you give him that much money? Nobody else in the league wanted him let alone wanted to pay him half of that and i think those are the moments where you go oh it's not just the guy but how you got the guy but let's go through these a little bit so uh let's see uh key hits during his tenure prince Amukamara, who was you know off of a uh, he's a one-year veteran signing coming away from jacksonville couldn't have stayed healthy early in his career really kind of bounced around a little bit but was a very solid cornerback for the bears for a couple of years on great defenses so you have to give credit where credit's due um, Sam, Sam Acho, which was another like veteran minimum signing, good locker room guy, good special teams guy, good depth guy. Tracy Porter was another kind of find there, a bridge find uh, at cornerback for a couple of years, and he had some more tread on the tires. Allen Robinson, which is, I think, I'm going to say it's his second best uh, free agent signing 
uh, of his tenure. Some people might say the first, but Allen Robinson coming off of an ACL tear wanted to go to a lot of teams or excuse me, a lot of teams were interested in his services. The bears met the price tag and knew they were chasing the right guy. And he's been all they could have hoped for. And I would say quite a bit more. So really great hit there. Um, I don't know about Taylor Gabriel. Some people might call it a hit. Some people might call it a miss. He certainly played for the team for a couple of years. I was never a big fan of his game, and I thought he was overpaid. So um, kind of leave that one in the middle. That's the that's uh, the worst thing you could say about a football player. Well, he certainly played for the team for a couple of years. <laughs> I mean, I suppose like if your value as an NFL football player can be measured in the snaps you take, um, I think that okay. says a lot about it. Like, you know, like coaches – their job is about who gets the snaps and just like, it's almost like shots, like field goal attempts in a NBA offense, right? It's like whether they went in or not, they believed in you enough to put you on the field to, or on the court to do that. So for whatever that's worth, but your assessment is totally correct, which is kind of not the best thing. Also had a sick nickname. Isn't it turbo 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 Taylor? Yep. Tight nickname. Pretty good. I, th I think he has it written in massive letters and a tattoo on his back. I think Love it. I'll have to remember that one. Uh, Okay, Cordero Patterson? Is that a hit? I feel like that's a hit. Uh, I'm going to say miss. Just because of the way that he's deployed in the offense and what he makes Nagy scheme up in his uh, his uh, <laughs> his room full of BU uh, call sheets that he had during during. How the draft, many touchdowns is... did he have for the Bears before he took that one to the house yesterday? Or last week, I mean. That's a great question. Well, he's certainly run at least two other kickoffs back. Uh, I'm going to say he's got like three or four touchdowns. He's a gadget player. He's a gadget player. But if you remember, the Bears had nothing as a, ki a kick returner prior to Cordero Patterson showing up. So it did fill a small hole on the team that needed to be filled. But it gave Nagy a lot of ideas that didn't need to be had. And here we are with him as the starting running back in a given week. And, and running the Wildcat, too. So maybe you're right. Maybe not a bad, like, it's almost like not Ryan Pace's fault that it's a miss. But it is. It enabled bad decisions. You could have spent uh, that $5 million a year better elsewhere. But, you know, such is life. Like, you, okay, okay. you well, could say you that about what? everyone, probably. We'll agree to disagree on that okay. one. I'm going to say it was a good pick, and you can say miss, and that's probably the right Sounds answer. Good. That it's both. Uh, Buster Screen as a nickelback, fine. Kind of like Buster fine. Screen. Yeah, he's like a good physical player. He gets, you know, a flag called on him from time to time, but he ain't the problem. I think he's been good, and I think um, Pagano has used him well in the defense. I think he's used him better than he's used some of the other pieces. So there's that. Haha uh, -ha -ha Clinton Dix was a good value signing for a year. Kevin Pierre-Lewis was a good linebacker signing for a year for depth. Um, okay, Bobby Massey was a free agent pick, and say what you will about Bobby Massey, who's an average to slightly below average um, offensive tackle or offensive lineman, he's okay. He's been on the team a number of years. Yeah. Better than Jamarcus yeah. Webb? Oh, Jamarcus. Jamarcus loved candy too much, man. That was the problem. Jamarcus Webb um, stays catching strays on Bears podcast 10 years later, you know? I mean, he, 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 you know, it was Frank Omayal, and then it was Jamarcus, and now it's Rashard Coward. Those are, like, the three most reviled Bears offensive linemen of – my lifetime and it's quite a mantle uh so jamarcus webb forever lives on because for a couple of years though they're you know you're just waiting for him to go to the sidelines and get berated by jay cutler for having missed a block again um okay so then the last two two of the best one danny trevathan who's been a leader on the defense and a really good football player for a long time starting to look a little long in tooth 
You can question whether they should have re-signed him this year or gone with White Nick uh, and kept him for like a similar number. That was a younger player versus this guy's a leader of the team and a veteran. Say what you will about that. I think it's a bad decision given that the Bears think that they were going for a championship this year when, in fact, they should have been looking forward to the future. That's why you keep Nick. But whatever. Danny Trevathan, good free agent signing. And then the best one, sort of inarguably, in my opinion, of of the Ryan Pace tenure is Akeem Hicks, who's been a fucking stud from day one, was gotten for next to nothing after he was let go by uh, the Saints. And then you had Bill Belichick knowing it, knowing he was good and chasing him in the offseason. And Ryan Pace was smart enough to put some money on the table and make sure that didn't happen because Akeem Hicks would have been amazing on the Patriots. And when Bill Belichick goes after a guy, honestly, I would just follow him around. And anybody he throws a little money at, throw all the money at him because that's a good football player. Uh, knew you were going to say Hicks is number one. Hicks is just phenomenal. I mean, he's really feels like he's one of the top players in the league at his position. He's also sort of one of the faces of the team, I would say. That's it. Uh, yep. As a defensive tackle, he seems like kind of a cool, likable guy. Uh, he's given some funny quotes. Seems like he has a good personality. And when he got hurt against the Vikings late in the second half, it felt like the air had been been taken out of the tire, right? Like, it just felt like, oh, well, now we can't even expect the defense to get a stop because they don't have Akeem Hicks. Like, Akeem Hicks is the linchpin of this great defense in a lot of ways. So, uh, Hicks has been awesome. Can't say enough about him. Yep. I I think you're absolutely right, which is when I think back on this generation of Bears uh, in the way that... You know, the past generation would be the Alshons and the Fortes and the Cutlers, you know, the the faces of the team in that iteration. I think Akeem Hicks inarguably would be one of the faces of the team in this iteration. So that matters, too. Uh, You need those cornerstones. So that was all the good ones, Ricky. Are you ready? Are you ready for the money that has been thrown out to some of these players? Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's bounce through this. So the first big money decision in uh, Ryan Pace's tenure is to throw $17 million a year at Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon sucks. And he sucked before he sucked in college. He sucked before he came to the bears. He sucked terribly on the bears. And guess what? He sucks now. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure his family loves him. I'm sure he, he deserves in some respect, the money that he's made because he was well positioned and he plays a a position that very few people in the world can. He fucking sucks at NFL football. And that's shown by the fact that a guy named Jake Luton is starting over him in Jacksonville right now. So there's that you have, and I, I need to like fly through these. There's a shitload of them. Quentin Demps, who I barely remember now, was a safety signing. Deion Sims, they threw money at at tight end. Marcus Wheaton was the big wide receiver signing that year, who uh, couldn't have been worse from the Steelers. Pernell McPhee, that's kind of a miss. He was good for a year before his knee gave out the way they knew it would. Antrell Roll, who was the big veteran signing that was going to make the secondary work, uh, was out, off the team after like four games. Eddie Royal at wide receiver. And then a really nice one that year, Ray McDonald, who had terrible problems Jesus. off the field, was was untrustable, bad character signing from the get-go. And guess what? Uh, he, he was terrible, and more stuff came out, out about him that you didn't want to know and was off the team. And it was just a black mark on the tenure of Ryan Pace right off the bat. Moving on, Cody Parkey. They threw a shitload of money at to fix the kicking problem. Cody Parkey is the author of The Double Doink. 
Trey Burton. And this is one I, we need to legislate a little bit because they threw a ton of money at him. He was good. Then weird injuries. Then they soured on him. And now he's a really important part of the Indianapolis Colts football team. Really hard to figure out the tenure of Trey Burton there where he was good. He was bad. He was gone. And now he's back in the NFL again. So I'll call it a miss if only they threw so much money at him and then, you know, moved on from him only for him to still be an effective football player. So a mismanaged signing, if not a bad one initially. Uh, change the quote to where receiving tight ends go to die because it seemed like he had talent. But like when you're like talking about him having like high points as a bear, I mean, my main memory of him was being like very jacked up for his signing and thinking that like, oh, finally we got an answer to tight end. Uh, this is going to be great. And then like just underwhelming as fuck. But, you know, a million, a, a million period. excuses for him. Uh, just like about everyone else in terms of coaching, in terms of quarterback play. So there was a five week period. And, and if you ever get the time and you feel bad about the bears and you don't want to go back to like the 85 be- uh, bears to feel better about yourself, I'd recommend a little YouTube run at the 2018 season and the first six games, because all the bears are doing, and it takes them a while to figure it out. There's the Tampa Bay game, the six touchdown game, but what they're doing that works is running mesh with Tariq Cohen and Trey Burton and having Mitch run RPOs uh, behind center with Jordan Howard. uh, And it works all the time. All they can do is get five-yard gains on the ground uh, or little like option routes to Tariq or have Trey Burton get a five-yard catch, and they move the sticks relentlessly. It's such a joyful watch. And there's wins and losses in there, but you're like, this is just such a competent offense. Drives keep going and going. They convert third downs all the time. It's just a really fun rewatch. So I recommend that to you if you're ever feeling terrible about the Bears, which, let's face it, uh, is going to happen a lot. Okay, let's finish up the misses, and we'll kind of like get to the big picture of pace. The last big misses, Jarrell Freeman was a incredibly high-paid linebacker from Indianapolis, barely saw the field, had two PED suspensions, and was off the team. And you think not just uh, financial cost, but opportunity cost for where that money could have gone, who it could have gone to, and how they could have fixed the position otherwise to pay an off-ball linebacker a bazillion dollars and have him flame out not just from injury but from PED suspensions. Just a terribly bad look, so a big miss. And then the last big miss, and again, it's almost like that Trey Burton thing, so frustrating, Mike Davis. Mike Davis, who came in to be you know that second running back that the Bears needed to kind of spell Montgomery and make sure it all worked right. Didn't even finish the season. The Bears cut bait on him midseason so they could still recoup a comp pick from another signing last year. He lands with the Carolina Panthers, and now with Christian McCaffrey out, is fucking great. And so it's such a condemnation not just of the money spent, why they brought him in, the coaching staff not using him and not using him correctly, and then to realize that the Bears' entire offensive system sucks – and as soon as he got to a competent team, he played great. Uh, just says a lot about the way the Bears have signed free agents, what they've prioritized, and how they've helped guys succeed. So Mike Davis, not that big of a, you know, it's a running back, one-year signing, not a big deal. But it colors in so much of why this tenure has been so embattled. Yeah, I like refuse to acknowledge that Mike Davis is actually a productive football player because he left <laughs> no imprint on the Bears last year whatsoever. So... Uh, Good for Mike Davis, but I think absolutely in terms of guys finding success elsewhere. uh, Seems like we have ourselves a little bit of a theme in the Ryan Pace era. 
opportunities left on the table, guys not being put in position to succeed. And, you know, in general, it's been a mixed bag is probably the most fair assessment of it. Like, Hicks was a great signing. Uh, I think, like, you know, fans like me and you, like, we loved the Mac trade, right? Like, we didn't even bring that up. But, like, you know, that was, like, I remember where I was when that happened. Like, that was, like, a holy shit. We're doing this. This rules. We got one of the best players in the entire NFL. Uh, And then, of course, there's all the negatives that everyone knows about. So, uh, you know, I think pace in general, it's been a mixed bag. That's what I would say. I don't think he's been straight terrible the way that I think that some people may perceive him to be. Uh, But with that being said, like the list of misses is getting longer than the list of hits. And at a certain point, and I feel like this is like an ultimate football idiom, you are what your record says you are. And I believe that Mark Trussman got fired after an 8-8 eight and eight year, right? Uh, and Nagy was 8-8 eight and eight last year, and who knows where they're going to finish this year. They're 5-5 five and five right now. If they finish 8-8, eight and eight, uh, you know, he probably won't get fired. Maybe he will. I think he should, and I think he should clean house if that doesn't uh, send us on to the next segment. But... Uh, you are what your record says you are. And in general, outside of 2018, the Bears have not been very good under Ryan Pace. Well, so it's a perfect point, all right? You are what your record says you are. And we were talking about the Bears 8-8 eight and eight last year and 5-5 five and five this year, not really representing how what, what the team actually looks like. I think Ryan Pace is an 8-8 eight and eight GM, right? Uh, where you look at the wins and you look at the losses in terms of who they've signed and how they've gone about it, and you go, there's a lot of good ones in there. And there's a lot of bad ones in there. It really evens out. But at the most important parts, at the most critical elements, he's failed. And I think that's where you get to the point where you say, maybe it's time to move on from this guy. It's not like he's been an abject failure. Phil Emery is our experience in a guy who seemed to be an abject failure in the role of GM of the Bears. I don't think that of Ryan Pace. I just think that he's failed in critical areas of his job. And uh, I don't want him choosing the next ones. Not like he's done a terrible job and he's got to go. We got to get this guy out of here and uh, everything's bad. It's just like it doesn't seem good. And you've shown us enough now to know that you're really having a hard time evaluating both coaches and quarterbacks. Exactly. I was going to say, you pick the wrong coach, you pick the wrong quarterback. That's a wrap, son. Yeah. That's a wrap, son. Uh, if you're a bus driver and you're really kind to people uh, and you always collect the right change, but you crash into fire hydrants every other day, I think you're out of a job. Um, what was the last bit? Oh, the coaches and execs. And so I, I feel like that's one other piece of the Ryan Pace you know, regime that doesn't get discussed, which is who he's brought in uh, over time as, as coaches and who has graduated out of the Ryan Pace you know, and Hallis Hall-led tree like has anybody gone on to success after they left the bears from a coaching perspective or an executive perspective so john fox and ryan or excuse me and and um matt Nagy are ryan pace's two head coaches and john fox it feels like they had you know the bears had brought in a consultant uh to like help them you know choose the next coach they didn't really empower pace to pick his guy uh, at the beginning, but John Fox, he was supposed to be the bridge coach to get to the, almost like a bridge. He's the Nick Foles of head coaches. Um, and it, you know, after he left Denver, even though they were in the playoffs and John Elway wanted to move on from him and they won a, a championship, I believe the next year. Anyways, um, John Fox, which was fine once, but was past his time was a pretty bad at bears head coach. 
and then met Nagy. And, you know, as these days go on, it's going to come down to these last few uh, games. It's almost going to be the Pennsylvania and Georgia votes of this regime. Uh, it, it just feels like so much is up in the air in terms of how this team is viewed, not just by us in the public or the media, but the McCaskies. Um, I believe it was uh, hmm, George McCaskey who said, going into this year, he's like, is this the team that was, you know, the talk of the league and 12 and four and kind of really making big moves or are they the disappointment of last year? And we need to make that assessment this year. So that was kind of like what was on the table. Then you give, you know, the, the credence. And I think this was Adam Johns who wrote the way the McCaskies view the bears is what their record is and how they're doing. And then how they play green Bay. So this Sunday's game may in fact be the referendum, not just on this, this year's bears, not on Nick Foles or Trubisky or whoever suits up, but uh, Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and maybe even all the way up to Ted Phillips. Like, really, that is what is at stake here, which is a pretty critical thing. And no matter how unwatchable they may be you know, on the Sunday night and how bad we think it's going to go, with that much on the table for the Bears franchise, it seems like must-see television. So there's that. Other than that, I think uh, Brandon Staley is now, now the defensive coordinator for the Rams and seems to be doing great things there. So that's the one coach who I can think of who's graduated out and gone on to better things. And then from an executive perspective, nobody. There have been a couple of guys, you know, uh, head of scouting, player personnel directors who have been interviewed for other jobs around the league. But there's really no reason to think like, oh, these are guys who um, need to be going on to have more responsibility given their, you know, acquiescence to having Trubisky as QB1 in 2017 and all the other draft, you know, decisions and misses and free agent decisions that we've discussed. So um, the Ryan Pace tree, uh, not a lot of leaves on that tree right now, Rick. Yeah, doesn't sound like it. Uh, you know, I think you, you touched on it perfectly in terms of the troubles evaluating coaches and the glaring, gigantic issue of evaluating quarterbacks. Um, it's, it's just tough. And if you don't have a good coach and you don't have a good quarterback, chances are you're not going to be a good football team. In fact, I would love to see the list of good football teams that have had bad coaches and bad quarterbacks because I bet it is very, very short. Yeah, and certainly not both at the same time. That's just a losing football team. But, like, they occasionally have one or the other, and they find their way forward. Like, the Baltimore Ravens were such a well-run franchise with a good head coach that, you know, four years of absolutely atrocious Joe Flacco, and they were still a playoff team frequently. Um, you know, you have situations like that. And then, you know, Phil Rivers was over in San Diego, and he'd have uh, one ridiculous head coach after another. But they'd find ways to like, you know, win games and be competitive and be interesting and occasionally be in the playoff mix. And so situations like that, in, in this case, um, kind of everything, especially offensively seems, you know, with a thumbs down uh, emoji attached to it. Um, and that really, it has to go all the way up the ladder. That's the way this works. So you and I both sort of agree, and there's no need to like legislate it any further, that the real prudent decision here, given the way things are going, that they started well, but they're just heading downhill, more than likely it's time to clean house and move on from uh, Matt Nagy uh, to Ryan Pace and maybe all the way up to getting a brand new team president in Ted Phillips, given that he's been at the behest of all of this happening, of Phil Emery. I mean, he was there for Angelo, which, you know, 
they went to a Super Bowl, you're moving on. He's had two chances to bring in a new uh, front office structure that, to bring the Bears back to relevancy, and you have to think maybe it's even time to bring in somebody at the the absolute head of the pyramid, save for ownership. So that's where I've landed on it. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Oh, I'm totally on board with you, dude. I feel like you know, not cleaning house would just be like another year of our lives as Bears fans being spent running in place, running on a treadmill, right? Like they, I guess, would have the hope of competing next year, right? If they're not going to clean house, then you got to think that they are viewing themselves as trying to make the playoffs again. But we know it's an uphill battle. We know that even if, you know, the best case scenario comes true, they're still probably not even close to good enough to win the Super Bowl. So it's like, you know, we're just wasting another year uh, before we tear it down, build it back up again. And that's what would be sort of frustrating to me as a Bears fan. And I feel like we just sort of watched that with the Bulls, where the Bulls just had this sort of right. like weird year where like, well, they're like not totally tanking, but they're also like, you know, their best case scenario is like the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Like what exactly is the long-term vision? And that's kind of how I view the Bears. That's why I keep talking about it being like a bell curve of contention and it feels like it's on the way down. So I think your assessment was dead on when you really lay it out like that in terms of the free agency misses, the draft misses, the coaching mistakes. Uh, It builds a pretty strong case against the fact that Ryan Pace deserves his job for another year. So here's my hot take. Are you ready? If I'm the McCaskies, uh, first of all, I'm so happy to be this rich. Second, um, I am bringing them all back next year. And here's why I say that, because I can the, the silence at the other end of this is hilarious right now. I say it for this reason. If you fire, if you go to Ryan Pace and you say, hey, Matt Nagy's not the guy, this isn't working, we got to make changes, you enable him to make a new head coaching hire. And I say... They're not going to fire Ryan Pace right now, or you don't because you have, you know, some successes to point to a good structure on on the roster for a lot of reasons. It's not a slam dunk sort of move, and you're just coming off of Phil Emery, and you remember those like Mel Tucker defenses giving up fifty a game. So you have this like memory in the back of your head of like it can always be a lot more embarrassing and a lot worse. And so you go, okay. You've made your bed. Like, if I'm the McCaskies, I go, Ryan Pace, you've made your bed. Matt Nagy is your coach next year. He is in the last year of his deal. You have Nick Foles that you've decided that's your quarterback, and you got one more year of guaranteed money there. That's your guy. You have to play with him. In this upcoming draft, you need to do what you need to do to bring in guys to make this work, which means we are hereby barring you from any trade-up, and we're barring you from selecting a quarterback. I don't care where it falls to us. You go ahead and select whoever you want in terms of offensive linemen, in terms of bolstering the defense in the correct way. You make this work as best you can. You get this next year to do it. And I say all that knowing that if it doesn't play out next year, if this isn't a playoff team on the rise, everybody is going. You, your coaches, players, it is a full blow up, full reset, and a completely understandable position from the city of Chicago why it's happened. Now, Ricky, from year and my perspective, it's a year too late. It, we've seen enough of this already. But I didn't invest millions upon millions of dollars that are guaranteed in these people. 
Um, I didn't have the meetings that I've had with him. I haven't been in the room with him. I don't have the same belief and relationship and friendship that you would have to give this every opportunity to succeed. And I think it's really easy from our perspective as like podcasty hot take guys to be like, blow it all up, start all over. But knowing what's at, at stake and who these people are and how connected you are to them, I kind of feel like that's the rational decision I would totally. make. Totally. And it makes sense. And that's why I've always assumed that that's what's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it would just be really hard for me to be optimistic about next season if that's the case. And, you know, you said like you're barred from taking a quarterback. I You, you could almost argue it the other way, too. And it's like, fine, take a fucking quarterback. It's not like he's going to help the roster win next be year. Here to, but like draft yeah. a quarterback every year. I don't really care. <laughs> like they should just well, that's try the anything to try to fix that position because it's been uh, so unsuccessful for so long. So. So so that's it, right? Like, you need to be drafting a quarterback every year. Look at Philly, who Carson Wentz has completely soiled the bed for that franchise, and yet they have second-round pick Jalen Hurts sitting there. And so, you know, this guy is obviously a failure, but there's a path forward for them, even in these dire circumstances where they've paid crazy money. Like, I think he has a $25 million salary next year and $34 million in dead cap if they decided to cut him loose. But at least they have another guy who's like, we can find out who this one is. For the Bears, you know, I think it, like the number of guys they've taken in front of like third round and up is uh, Mitch and Rex. I think that's it for like the last, you know, 10 years. And you can say they traded first round picks for Jay. Okay, fair enough. Or the Khalil Mack trade. Those are first round picks there. Either way, totally a lack of investment in the quarterback position. And you wonder why this gener- this team has never had a generational quarterback ever, 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 ever. And then there's the investment in the offensive line, which is Gabe Karimi was the last first round pick. Um, you know, I know James Daniels. I know Cody Whitehair. But the lack of investment on the offensive line, when you look anywhere else in the league and when you get those guys and you get a good one in, how it's transformational for an offense, it just feels like derelict in their duties. So uh, that's the real big bugaboo and why, despite what I just said in terms of what ownership should and probably would do, um, it would be tough to watch another year of this, just the way you It said. would be really nice if offensive linemen didn't bust just as often as any other position group. You know what I mean? Like I can think of a lot of offensive linemen who have gone at the very top of the draft who are very bad. Robert Gallery comes to mind. There was a kid from Baylor, I think Jason Smith, who was like the mm-hmm. second overall pick in the draft. Uh, how about the guy the Chiefs took number one overall, Eric Fisher? I don't think he's that good, is he? He's been good this okay. year. He hasn't taken a step this year. But your, your point is, I mean, you are cherry-picking a Jake, little bit. whatever, the Dolphins took number one overall out of Michigan. What was his name, Jake? Oh, he was good. He oh, was good. Jake, Jake Long. Long was good? Okay. Yep. He was good. Then he got injured late in his career, but there were some really good early years. I would just say this and disagree if you feel like that's not right. The hit rate for offensive linemen is a hell of a lot higher than it is for quarterbacks. Okay, yeah, fair. Um, Quarterback the hardest, no doubt. No doubt. Or even like other positions, I feel like, okay, he's not a tackle, but you slide him inside, find a place for him. Um, it's not like you're like he's at one position and only one position. If he fails there, that's it. This year had, I think, like four first-round tackles. The one in Cleveland totally stabilized their offensive line along with getting a new right uh, right tackle. What Cleveland did last year, actually, that's a perfect example. So Cleveland had one of the worst offensive lines in football last year, uh, and you know they couldn't use Odell Beckham. They couldn't use uh, any of their real uh, skill positions, Nick Chubb, you name it, because they couldn't get things blocked up, and they couldn't evaluate Baker Mayfield. So they bring in – the name totally uh, totally escapes me right now. 
left tackle. He was their first round pick. Doesn't matter. He's been great. And then they signed from uh, from the Titans. Their right tackle. This is like really good knowledge. Well, sign, of sign a guy, analysis. drafted a guy. Yeah. That. And all of a sudden, they have one of the best running attacks in football, and they don't really care if Baker Mayfield's great. They're still able to win football games because they can control it on defense with Miles Garrett, and then they can uh, you know, run the ball and dominate the line of scrimmage. So it seems like a pretty quick fix, and obviously what the Bears are envisioning doing going into next season should they be at the posi- uh, in a position to make those decisions. So, uh, Ricky, I want to like pivot for just a second before we move on to the uh, kind of what's ahead in the rest of the season. Uh, let's read some ads real quick. i got to do that. The wait is finally over. Football is back. It's been back for a while, but now it's extra back. You might not be at a game this year, although you might. They just keep rolling them in there every week. There seems to be 2,000 more people sneaking in. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Sorry, tangent. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. You can be like me, where you bet a four-team teaser and feel awesome about it and win the first three games, and then unknowingly, Aaron Rodgers shits the bed against the Buccaneers, and your teaser dies again, and you live to play another day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so just to kind of like, we were talking about it a little bit and dancing around it, but you talk about, you know, a generation of Bears and who are like the the, the faces of a franchise. You think, you know, Erlacher and Peanut. Um, you could say Mike Brown, uh, you know, Devin Hester and Forte and Jay Cutler. Like, these are the guys. I'm just curious if you can do it for me. Who are your top five bears of all time? It doesn't have to be even in order if that's like part of what makes it difficult. I I love this. Now, I didn't have something prepared off the top of my head, and I'm going to do this off the top of my head, but just to say it up front, I'm only going to see guys that I watched as a fan. And I was born in 1987, so I'm 33. I missed the 85 Super Bowl, obviously. And Mm -hmm. I think the first year I can really remember watching the Bears was Rashawn Salam's rookie year. And I used to go to training camp with my dad as a kid in Platteville, Wisconsin. I have an entire, uh, you know, bedroom full of Bobby Ingram autographs and stuff from those trips. So uh, that's kind of like the starting point of my Bears fandom. So I'm only going to say players that I watch. These are good roots. uh, I just want to say good roots. Curtis Conway. I loved Curtis Conway when I was a kid. Good old number 80. Curtis Conway was the number one target of Eric Kramer. It was Curtis Conway and Jeff Graham. Jeff Graham, I believe, left to sign a free agent contract with the Jets. But when those two guys were together, they were really awesome. Curtis Conway was kind of the big play threat. And early 90s Bears football, man, if you thought the Bears couldn't throw the ball downfield now, this is in a passing era. Imagine it in the 90s where, like, any 20-yard pass was, like, the craziest shit you've ever seen. And multiply that times, you know, all of the Bears' history where they've never thrown the ball downfield. I felt like Conway was the guy who could provide the biggest play 
possibility. So I had a Curtis Conway jersey when I was a kid. He was the first player on the team that really resonated with me. And so Curtis Con, like I, like I think, like my, you know, my dad probably grew up like liking like the tough nose, <laughs> tough nosed white guy, and I just like the flashy wide receiver. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like why? I don't know. I just always like the flashy wide receiver. So Curtis Conway was the first guy who really resonated with me. My favorite bear of all time, the goat Devin Hester. I mean, what more can you say? Uh, just so incredible. And what what really drew me to Hester was that he to me just like represented something that the bears never had like the bears always had like defense but uh, you know blue collar guys lunch pail and hard hat guys r- tough nosed running backs and hester was just like i am the fastest player anyone's ever seen i somehow play for the chicago bears not even our own shitty offense can sabotage my greatness because i play special teams and you know everyone just block for me i'm just gonna run to the colors and and score touchdowns and uh, you know, they say I'm a punt returner who can't return kickoffs. Well, the first time I ever return kicks in a game, I take two back to the house. The Super Bowl moment was an all-time great sports moment for me, and obviously oh that God. game oh ended on bad terms for the Bears, but I just loved Hester. Hester forever. Uh, Marcus Robinson is sure. the next guy. Marcus Robinson, I think one year had 1,400 yards receiving. I am sort of blanking off the top of my head on who his QB was that year. I think it was- that was the Cade McNown would just chuck it into the end zone and somehow Marcus Robinson would fall under the ball every single time. And he was incredible. He was absolutely wild. He was like, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, big physical wide receiver, big play threat. I remember he tore his knee against the Bengals a season or two later and then was never really the same. But number 88, Marcus Robinson, another sort of flashy big play wide receiver, gave you something the Bears never give you. Loved him. Last two I'll name. I'm going to go with, uh, let's go with Charles Tillman. How can you not love Peanut? Uh, invented the mm. Peanut Punch. Just, re- just He was really good when he was young, and then he aged even better. He had longevity. He had peak. He had memorable moments. Uh, he, you know, was the guy who sort of resonated with the fan base off the field, too. So, love Charles yep. Tillman. And then fifth, I think I'm going to go with, off the top of my head, let's say Mike Brown. Uh, because Mike Brown, I feel like, you know, we've still sort of been, Bears spent like 20 years searching for the next Mike Brown, right? Like someone to like stabilize the safety position. Maybe they finally have that Nettie Jackson. But Mike Brown coming out of Washington State, uh, just like high level, consistent producer, was the backbone of some of my favorite Bears teams growing up. Uh, So I really liked Mike Brown. These are great choices. You're a man of the people. There's no question about it. I I appreciate that you're like, hey, I wasn't here for the 85 Bears. And so you have to take somebody out out of, you know, I didn't see any of those guys. I wasn't part of that. And it wasn't part of, most importantly, it wasn't part of your fandom, right? You weren't there like living and dying week to week. Um, I'm a little bit older. I'm 41. And I remember very clearly, it was like one of my first, like, you know how you remember your first memories are ones that were like intense, like when your long-term memory came online. And for me, being on the school bus coming home from kindergarten and the bus driver being willing to play someone's cassette of the Super Bowl shuffle at full blast on the school bus speakers and having the entire bus scream it as we drove home and he played it over and over and over again was one of like my favorite, favorite childhood memories. And you have to say like probably is why I am who I am and why I do this and why I love sports so much. It was just such like a unifying, incredible experience for me as a young kid. Um, and to go with that, Walter Payton is my favorite bear 
of all time. I remember him. I remember what it, what he meant um, to not just me as a fan, but my dad, the people around me. Like what Walter was is almost sort of the way that you know we enjoyed Michael Jordan in the '90s, where it was like he was almost bigger than the team or bigger than the game. Like Walter. Walt, there was Walter, and then there was the rest of the team around him. Um, and then just, like, the transcendent player that he was, obviously, you know, the records that he set. Um, and then I remember very clearly being, I think, uh, 20 years old, working at uh, a restaurant, now closed restaurant in the North Shore of Chicago, when Walter passed away in his 40s from cancer. Um, and, like, people were crying at the bar and – my buddy, you know, I, obviously I took it hard, but I didn't really like I was smoking a lot of weed at the time. I had my own problems. I wasn't like focused on what was going on. And my buddy just was like came in crestfallen. And I was like, dude, how, how are you doing? What's going on? He's like, it's just a really hard day. And it took me a second to realize like the impact that he'd had on his life. And I was like, I missed it. Like I, I should be paying more attention to what happened today. And it's like losing a family member. So. On that sad note, which I didn't intend to do, Will, Walter Payton's my number one bear of all time. Then you've got it right. I, I, we're going to somehow agree that Peanut Tillman like just touched something in me where, first of all, he invented something, which how often does that happen on a football field? The peanut punch doesn't happen before him. It, it doesn't exist. People have like knocked the ball out. But to have somebody with this strange Muhammad Ali level like touch with the punch where he could be running full speed one direction and the wide receiver is running full speed the other way. And somehow he times it out where like, I feel like if you were driving on, you know, the 94 highway and peanut was going the other direction and you had like an ice cream cone in your hand that he could like snatch it out of the car and enjoy your ice cream cone. Like as he drove by, it was an amazing talent to be able to like consistently put his fist on the ball. And now you see weirdly, like strangely, Week to week, if it happens in the NFL, you see other players shouting it out and saying, peanut punch, peanut punch. He invented a move. So, yeah, uh, just an all-time bear and then a, like an all-time great guy, not just for the team but in the community. So that always kind of like sets somebody in your heart. Uh, Devin Hester is my number three, and I'll just kind of like keep it short because you said it so well. And that is that he's the first like singular appointment television of a Bears player in my lifetime. Like it had always been an Erlacher or a, like cumulative over the, you know, the game, you know, wow, he had 15 tackles. And did you see that one play? Wow, that was a really good one. But Devin Hester, like they would like be showing the national game of the week and be like, oh my God, Devin Hester's going to, you know, take another punt. This could be his seventh of the year. We're going to just go to him live right now. Fuck your game. Like no one could stop watching punts. It's crazy. It, it's never happened like that before or since. There have been other really good returners, obviously, but in my lifetime, like during those first few seasons of what Devin Hester was doing, I've never seen anything like it. I remember being in the airport once when the Bears were playing and they'd been down, and I heard the entire airport like scream in a happy way because this is, first of all, pre-9-11, and second of was it? No, post-9-11. You think that would be a bad thing. And uh, it was because Devin took back his second one of the day against the Broncos and people were losing their shit. So, yeah, number three all time. Then I have to go McMahon because he just had personality. That's as close as we got to a good quarterback, unless you want to say Eric Kramer, which, by the way, the Eric Kramer, Curtis Conway, Jeff Graham offense 
That's the best Bears offense of our lifetime. So that's a fun one right there. And then uh, I, I tried really hard to think like which current Bear would get on this list. And it's hard to do that because their careers aren't finished. How long are they going to play for the team? What will they do during that time? I like, I'm inclined to like put names out there. Like maybe Eddie Jackson, when it's all said and done, he's clearly like the leader of the team, but we haven't had him long enough and who knows what happens. Kyle Fuller is clearly an all time cornerback, but is he like part of an identity or something? I'll remember 10, 15 years from now. I don't know. Um, Matt Forte, for some reason really got me back in the day you know when when he was the running back for the bears you felt like you were in a really good situation i want to be very clear that jay cutler will never make this list he just for the success the team had it was just such like a you know failing uh, failure to live up to this incredible talent and uh, make it over the hump and it's funny that khalil mack didn't like engender these reactions from either of us well yeah i mean if they would have won the super bowl in 18 then yeah because he was truly amazing that year and then since then, you know, it's like we've sort of been chasing that high of 2018. Like, remember when Cleo yep. Mack was just, like, getting a strip sack every week or every other week? Uh, We're chasing the dragon. You're absolutely right. To that. Yeah, I, and he's been nicked up a little bit. Um, obviously, there have, been, there have been some other issues on the defense and that sort of thing. But the expectations were set, and now he's really great, and he's not generationally transcendent. And so on some level, it's disappointing, especially given the price tag that was associated with him. It's not his fault. The Bears aren't Super Bowl winners. And I think if the result, if the offense had been able to hold up its end of the bargain and the Bears are going deep into the playoffs and perhaps winning a Super Bowl, then it's seen in a totally different light. And this guy is an all-time Bear. That part's not his fault. But he has been nicked up the last two years, and he hasn't been what he was when he first got to the team. Uh, So, you know, um, it goes into the thing. And then he's a free agent acquisition. We didn't draft him. He's only been with the team a few years. It's hard to, like become an all-time bear given you know that really short part of his resume so he also that part gets held on like you know half the plays that don't get called so we have to bring that up whenever we talk about cleo mack we do but like aaron donald gets held by three guys every play and he's still got like 19 and a half sacks and he wrecks game plans and so you're not wrong but i i i maybe i'm becoming a little like excuse allergic because of how this bears you know generation has gone where it's like you know, Nagy with like, oh, we need tight ends. We've got to bring in these guys. Oh, the running back's not right. Oh, you know, Mitch has to go to 202 this offseason. Like, it's been very excusey. And so, and and excuses for Khalil Mack, however fine and reasonable and realistic, I'm just sort of excused out a little bit. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's fucking great. And, uh... The Bears are lucky to have him. I, I, w- I wouldn't put it any other way. I don't want to undo the trade, even given that it hasn't worked out from a, a wins and losses perspective. It made sense then. It makes sense now. It's rare you get a generational player. Khalil Mack is likely to be a Hall of Famer before it's all For said sure. and done. So, like, you have to kind of look at it in that sense. But, you know, he makes the most money as anybody on the on the team. I think it's $23 million a year, which he deserves, uh, given what he's done. It's just that the Bears aren't a winning football team, so it kind of sucks. Okay, man, so to wrap this thing up, three things you'd like to see the rest of the season, given the context of they may make the playoffs if they somehow string things together, which seems unlikely. It's more than likely they're not going to fade uh, to another losing season, but there are things to look forward to and things to pay attention to. 
What are those three things for you? Or we can go back and yeah, forth. Yeah, let's go that. back and forth. So my first one is, do you have any fight? You're five and five. You were five and one. Uh, even when you were five and one, no one really believed you were all that good. I'm sure the players on themselves said, fuck you. We are that good. We're five and one. Well, now you're five and five. So where is your level of fight? And like one thing with Nagy is like, I think in general, the team has played pretty hard for him. Uh, you know, we've seen Bears sure. teams not play as hard in the past. And I think that, you know, in this era, they have always competed. But like, let's see it, guys. Like you were five and one. Now you're five and five. Are you just going to lose out here? Like, how about beat a divisional opponent? Your last showing against the Vikings was pathetic. You got all the eyes in the country on you. Primetime game against your oldest rival. What more do you need? Like, this is your season on the line. Do you want to be remembered as the team that lost six, seven straight games to blow a 5-1 and one start? No? All right, win this fucking game. So I want to see if they have any fight in them. I, I would totally agree with that. And I would say, you said it, but to Nagy's credit, this team has always fought back. Even when they're out of games, there's like the garbage time touchdowns to keep it close. There were a lot of those this year. The point being that the Bears have always fought. Uh, and never really give up, which are platitudes, but I do think apply to this team. I will say that this last week after this last game, Eddie Jackson going public with his comments saying that, like, I don't want to see teammates with their heads down coming off the field. Like, we all have to believe. We all have to fight. That was the first time I'd ever seen, like, a chink in the armor where, you know, it's clear Eddie Jackson has stepped into a primary leadership role on the team. But up to this point, it had always felt like the fight of the team and their desire to keep going was never in question. That was the first time that I was like, hmm, little, little, little crack in the armor there. A little, little something where it feels like some guys might be starting to, to give up on themselves a little bit. So take that for what it's worth. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I'll just my, – mine kind of piggybacks off that, which is this specific Green Bay game. I think it's so critical to not just this Bears season – but again, to reiterate what I said before, this entire Bears generation, this regime, uh, all on down the line, because not just that it's the Packers, but that's a huge part of it, but also just they're on national TV for the last time this year. This is the way they're going to be seen. This is a referendum on Nagy. This is a referendum on Pace. Um, if it's an embarrassing game, no pun intended, if, if Aaron Rodgers comes and takes our lunch money again, uh, if they're unwatchable, unwatchable on Sunday night football, uh, I think it's just going to be the final nail in the coffin for these all these guys. And so add to it their ability to fight through adversity, to find some sort of thing to have done. And then, again, finally, sorry, coming off of the bye, having two weeks to self-scout and plan and heal, uh, get some guys back on the offensive line. Like, you need to be a competitive competitive like that's the that's the floor that's where we're at you need to be a competitive football team and have at least complementary football happening on offense that doesn't waste the efforts of special teams and defense the way they have the last month yep that's it man it's like this this is it so uh the players on this team should very much feel like if they come up short the rest of this season if they do you know blow this five and one start and miss the playoffs that you know, their, their jobs, their careers are on the line. So uh, that should be thought of up and down the entire organization, in my opinion. And even if they get one more year next year, all right, fine, whatever. But, like, 
there's got to be a lot of pressure on everyone's backs individually. So I would no love kidding. to see it come together, and I have no expectation that that will happen. But, I mean, fuck it. Let's see it, you know? Totally. All right, thing number two that uh, you'd like to see the rest uh, of the season. Can you find a way to use Cole Komet? Seems like an obvious one. Uh, you can see his talent when he walks onto the field. He's big. He's fast. Got pretty good hands. He fumbled it the one time he got the ball. Seems like a really bad omen, even though that got turned over or overturned. So maybe it's a it's a good omen now. But like they change playing call, <laughs> they happen. change play callers, they change quarterbacks. Nagy says after every fucking game that we're gonna, we got to get Cole Komet more involved next week. Well, we got to get more involved next week. Well, you never do. So stop so saying it. Just, stop just saying do it. it. It shouldn't be that freaking hard. He's big and fast. He plays tight end. You threw to shittier tight ends all the time for the last five years or whatever. I know. So throw to Cole Komet. I want to see what Cole Komet can do. Because as of right now, you can't say he really looks good. You can't say he looks like a bust. You can't really say anything about him because he hasn't gotten a chance to prove his talent. So you took him with your first draft pick this year. Let's fucking see why you took him. Get him involved. I can disagree with none of that. And I mine my second thing is a little more of a big picture thing and it might dash whatever future take you have, but I think it is the evaluation of the young part of this roster. So if you just look at rookie contract guys, um, and you know, this is me with an eye towards transitioning to whatever the next phase is, who the keepers on this team might be going forward. And so you've already got a lot of guys like just take second contract guys out of it. That's Eddie Jackson, obviously Khalil Mack. You've got Trevathan. Like, you know, who, who is the next generation of Bears that you're thinking this is a guy we're going to sign to a second contract, no matter what our record is, because he's a quality football player and a foundational element here. And so for me, this is off the cuff, but I would think in no particular order, Bilal Nichols, Roy Robertson Harris are two young guys to hang on to. Uh, I obviously Roquan is a part of the future here. I think he's maybe like him and Eddie Jackson are the future, you know, leaders of this defense. Um, Jalen Johnson is somebody you have to feel good about. I weirdly am like, based on like the general conjecture of how he's seen, not down on him, but it's like that dude gets like blown away on a deep route, like four times a game. And like, there've been a couple times this year where like Kirk cousins overthrew his guy where I'm like, Oh my God. Thank God for the bad throw because that was the easiest six ever. Now, he's defended a lot of passes. He's really good in, like, press coverage and being on a guy. But I do feel like uh, work on the deep speed this offseason is just the one thing. I know I'm, like, nitpicking because he has been really good. Yeah, I think that's all totally fair. And then on the offensive side of the football, I don't know, man. Like, how how do you evaluate anybody who's, you know, like, Okay, Darnell Mooney seems like a guy to hang on to. Uh, Anthony Miller, as discussed, I'm, I don't want to pay him a second contract. I I know that he's going to pop as soon as he goes to a competent team, competent offensive team, <clears throat> but um, I, I don't want to be a part of that. Cole Komet is part of that evaluation. Um, you know, James Daniels is out for the year. Cody Whitehair feels like we know what we've got there, so uh, – I'm done evaluating Richard Coward. There's really nothing on the offensive line. I kind of want to see Mitch again. Not that that decision hasn't already been made and that ship hasn't sailed, but like, I feel like I know what Nick Foles is. I'm a Chicago bears fan and loves to root for the backup quarterback. So I'd be fine for that. Um, It's weird. Just saying the stuff out loud. I'm like, boy, 
like what young offensive talent is there to like really take a stare at going into next season? I feel like it's like kind of Cole Komet and then you're just making arguments for people. Yeah, that would sort of transition into my third one, which Perfect. I'm sort of second guessing myself because I know it's fucking stupid. But even though it's dumb, it is honest. I just kind of want to see Mitch that. play again. I don't think he's yeah. good. We're fucked. Yeah. I don't think we he's are good. Like, like, but straight to therapy. You to therapy. Me to therapy. This is bad. Why are no, we? Doing I don't this? think he's good. And I also don't no. think he's going to go to another team and find success. So that's like not factoring into this. But instead, I just sort of want to see what it looks like when the hopes of the franchise aren't pinned on the kid's back. If he comes back in the lineup, he's no longer the QB of the future or anything. Everyone knows he's a free agent after this year. Everyone knows that he's going down as a draft bust. Everyone knows he is only going to be brought up in historical discussions alongside Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. All this is agreed upon. There is nothing on the table. There is nothing at stake. Let's just just as an aside. See you play I'm football. sorry. As an aside, just predict what team he's on next year and what the contract looks like. I have no idea. Uh, I will okay. say that team. he's on Washington, and it looks like a one or two year deal uh, with like you know a decent base salary that pays him about the 35th best out of any quarterback or something. A premium backup salary, right? Like, uh, I think Marcus Mariota makes eight in Vegas. And I'm trying to think of other, like, premium backups uh, that aren't on rookie contracts. Um, so, like, a place where he can actually be a backup but, like, compete for the position. I was going to say this. If I'm Trubisky and his agent, I'm trying to get to Los Angeles, to the Rams, to be Jared Goff's backup. Because... All they do is run play action. All they do is give opportunities. And I just would trust that Sean McVay would find a way, should I see the field, uh, either whether I'm playing or not, like I'm going to have a different understanding of what offensive football in the NFL can look like. Because obviously Nagy's system is like wildly comp complicated out of the shotgun and multi-read and multi-adjustment at the line versus like what Tennessee runs which brought Tannehill to life, right? T Tennessee would be another great one. Like, send him there. I think you'll have success because it's play action, it's bootlegs, it's runouts, and it's single reads. Um, obviously, like, having a competent run game or a transcendent one like Derrick Henry is. Derrick Henry is fucking insane, man. I've never seen anything like that guy. Um, like, obviously, that changes the perspective. And so the Rams seem to run the ball well. San Francisco would be another one, you know, Go, go play under Shanahan and have 19 running backs and George Kittle and all these other guys. Uh, I feel like I would just be looking for the best fit in order to like heal my mind from what's happened under Nagy the last few years. Uh, yeah, totally. From Mitch's perspective, I think that makes sense. And, you know, you look around the league and like there's still guys who are like career long backups who make a ton of money who like barely play ever. And hopefully Mitch's like mobility and the fact that he is like, you know, he has some athletic traits as a scrambler, as an improviser. Hopefully that's what keeps him in the league. Because I think like me and you would both like to see Trubisky have a long career. But I'm not worried that like he's going to turn into an all pro at this point. Uh, no, I would say no. And look, he he's flashes. He's always been flashes. That should be should have been his nickname from the beginning. Uh, there, there, I feel like we're going to see him 
play for another football team and they're going to have to learn the same lessons down the line, which is he's got two, his athletic traits are too good, especially like his legs for a team not to be like, Hey, this isn't working out with this guy or he got injured. Let's turn to Mitch. Let's make that happen. So we haven't seen the last of Mitch, but like you, I, I hold no uh, fears that he's going to like blow up with another team the way that, you know, Trey Burton, I would blow up is the wrong term, but succeed with another team. Trey Burton, even Adam fucking Shaheen is good is goodish on the Miami Dolphins now. They they signed him to a contract extension. So um yeah, yeah. O- always fun to be a Bears fan. Okay, so let's wrap this thing up. We've been going on forever. Just taking a quick look at the schedule and what's ahead, maybe predicting right now, coming off of the bye, what the Bears' final record this season will be. So the Packers this Sunday night uh, in the Aaron Rodgers absolute revenge for losing last week in overtime, a get-right game. I think we both got that down as a gigantic, d- disturbingly uh, depressing L on the schedule. Uh, I would certainly agree with that, but, <laughs> you okay. know, let's see. Okay, I got so no expectations. Let's put the- so then the Bears are five and six, and the wheels have come off, and oh my god, and we're talking firings even more loudly, probably in the national media at this point. So you have Lions at Bears, uh, and that's going to be off of a mini buy for the Lions because of Thanksgiving. But you have to think that's the toilet bowl, and loser of that game leaves town. Like whatever coach loses that game, just pack your shit, pack your office, and off you go. I I can't pick the bears, but I definitely can't pick Matt Patricia's lions. So I've got that as the, finally the, the streak snapping win, putting the bears to six and six and giving Me us. Too. I hope we podcast after that one, because since I've joined you, we've only podcast after losses. So hopefully they can uh, actually win that game. And we got to get off the Ricky tonight yeah. here. <laughs> okay. So then the Texans at the bears at Chicago, not that it matters this year. I guess it does a little bit. But six and six Texans, and that feels like the disappointment game. Deshaun Watson revenge, false hope gone. I've got that for an L. Uh, I'll take a win there. Yeah, I know the Texans have been better since they moved on from O'Brien, but uh, I don't think the Texans are anything special. So I'm going to take the Bears on that one. Okay, so then you have at either six and seven or seven and six. If you're Ricky, you have the Bears and the Vikings playing in Minnesota. I guess Bears revenge for having lost in Chicago. Uh, I've got the Bears winning that one to re- both remain in the mix at seven and seven. Although probably at that point they've taken themselves out of the mix entirely. But either way, beating the Vikings, which the Bears are usually good at, finding a way. Uh, I've got that for a dub. Uh sure. Why not? You got to beat the Vikings. That last game was just so brutal to watch that. To me, like, you can no longer take a game against the Vikings as, you know, take it for granted as an easy win, but uh, I guess I'll say win. Like, to go 0-2 against the Vikings this year would be super embarrassing. Nagy had a strong track record against Minnesota coming into this season, so hopefully they can at least get a split this year. And to be fair, Minnesota tried to lose that game. The Bears just refused to let them uh, in the last one. I love how we're saying that is, like, to our credit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to, to a certain extent, it does feel like the Bears, I don't know, it's like they they chose to lose that game. It was just like it was so incompetent that it didn't matter what the other team was handing, like one of those situations. Anyways, uh, then you have second to last game of the season, Bears at Jags. I've got the Bears for a win there. Uh, Bears win, for sure. Okay, so that's a for sure So, okay, 
And then last game of the season, Packers come to town, play the Bears. Uh, They're just on different levels right now. I I would love to hope for it. I will hope for it. I'll certainly tune in hoping for it. But I got that for a season-ending sour mark and an L. Yeah, I think wishing is for, you know, children who believe in Santa Claus and go to Disney World. And (laughs) I, I guess I wish the Bears would win that game, but doesn't seem likely to happen. All right, Ricky. So doing like the very complicated math here. You have the Bears finishing the season at nine and seven, and I've got them at a very disappointing eight and eight, which feels very like perfectly round. A twelve and four season for false hope, and then two straight eight and eights that don't represent nearly how frustrating and difficult the seasons have been. Uh, nine and seven might be good enough to get into the playoffs. Well, there is an that? expanded playoff spot this year. Yeah, I'm shocked that I'm the more optimistic one of the two of us, so I'm a little taken aback by that. Uh, but the vibes, the vibes are bad. Either way, the vibes are not good around the this team. Bad, bad vibes. So, yep. you know, they could get into the playoffs. They'll probably get their teeth kicked in if they do get into the playoffs. Uh, but, I mean, I am rooting for but it I... to happen because I haven't seen that many Bears playoff games in my lifetime. So, Oh, yeah. Like, a Bears making the, the playoffs is our Super Bowl. That's the Super Bowl. If we make the playoffs celebrate, like, I'll, you know... Uh, ticker tape parade like that's all i would dare hope for against a playoff team and a winner go home game i just I, I shudder to think what would happen to this bears team so yeah um look obviously we talked about the importance of the packers game on this sunday night as critical as it is for so many different reasons if they somehow pulled that off i don't see it happening you don't then that sends them to six and five, and then they have the Lions game to get right, then seven and five. So even more so, looking at what we just talked about, if the Bears could somehow find a way uh, to pull off a miracle this Sunday, it really is a season changer, a regime changer. It can be a lot of different things, but as it is, it's hard to see. And even giving them the eight and eight record at this moment in time, given the way they're playing offensive football, uh, feels a little bit friendly. So again, uh, eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine. If like the wheels fall off, that's really what we're looking at, and that's called purgatory, ladies and gentlemen. That is a situation where you can't get the draft picks to really improve, and you're not bad enough, or you're not good enough to uh, to get to the playoffs. So um, something's got to change, and it's got to change quick. And if it's not on the field, it's pretty sure to be off the field. Hey, Ricky, uh, first of all, thank you for doing all this. This is a shit ton of just bantering about the bears but any final words given all we've discussed i i feel like i gave my hype up speech uh earlier when i said i want to see them fight so that's really what i'm looking forward to i guess for the rest of the season uh and it's going to be super hard to maintain this level of you know uh being in on the season investment in the season if they get smoked by green bay so i you know you don't want to say the whole season comes down to the green bay game because Lord knows we have uttered that sentence many times in our lives, and Lord knows we've come away disappointed most of the time. Uh, but I don't know. They're they're five and five. They were five and one. So to me, it's like this is where you coming off a bye. This is where you got to prove that you are a better football team than the rest of the world believes you to be. So I guess that's kind of where my mindset's at going into this next game. Yeah, I, I would say that like they just need to find a way to stop the bleeding. And even if the Bears lose a hard-fought game that's close, you know, I just want to feel okay at the end of it. And the only way to do that isn't necessarily wins and losses. It's just by being like a, a viable NFL football team that doesn't 
completely embarrass its fan base uh, on a national game. So uh, high bar, high bar, uh, high bar. Last little thing before we go. Uh, uh, Marcus Robinson was a fourth-round pick back in the day. Great fourth-round pick. Also the uncle of current Kansas City Chief Demarcus Robinson, which I did not know, but uh, the NFL bloodlines just continue on. Nice fun fact. Now i got to look up Demarcus Robinson. There you go, man. All right, uh, Rick, thanks for joining, man, and uh, let's hope for a good one this Sunday. Cool. Sounds good. See you, buddy. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.